Hey, welcome back. This is episode 28 of Dear Baseball Gods, and I'm Dan Blewett, and I have a great guest today, Phelan Lentini, a former teammate of mine. He's uh, currently age 40, played his 17th season this past year with the Long Island Ducks. So Phelan's had a very storied career. He's uh, a lifetime 303 batting average hitter. He has an incredible, which we'll talk about today, 567 career stolen bases with only 106 times caught stealing. He played a couple years combined at the AA level and multiple seasons of uh, foreign winter league baseball, including time in Puerto Rico, uh, numerous seasons in Mexico, and the Venezuelan winter league. So Phelan's an awesome, awesome guy. He, again, he and I shared, uh, we were locker mates for, for a year, and just watching him play and competing against him in a couple different seasons was just a ton of fun. So I'm excited to have him on here. Hey, Phelan, so how's, it, uh, how's everything out there on the East Coast? Or I'm sorry, you're on the West Coast now, right? Yes, I'm on the West Coast. I'm Back in Sonoma, right? blue. Yeah, it's a nice blue sunny day. Well, I probably, mis- I probably misspoke because you spent a pretty good amount of the last, what, 10 years playing on the East Coast? I mean, you were with the Ducks, and then what other teams in the Atlantic League? Uh, the Ducks and Lancaster, and then that was it. Before that, it was uh, Winnipeg and... Yeah, Winnipeg, and then before that, it was... Texas and Maui. So yeah, five, four, four years this coast. Dude, that's four a ton. Nine. So what does it feel like? You're now forty. Tell me, yes. tell me what it's like being a forty-year-old still playing baseball. It's interesting. This last year was, I felt, you know, the Atlantic League is supposed to be one of the older leagues, you know, age-wise, and this year I just, you know, there was Lou Ford and a couple of other guys over 30 but then other than that I felt like you know in a different you know from a different era almost it was tough like just you know hard to relate like relate to them you know getting up all around the field and stuff but just like trying to share like oh remember this TV show remember this and guys are like I don't know what you're talking about I'm like man yeah. I'm that much older like that's when you realize you're like this is crazy and I don't know it's just just you know it's interesting being in a diff- such a different point of your, of your own personal life than the younger guys as well when you're playing too. So it's been interesting. Well, it's pretty remarkable year, your uh, your longevity. I mean, how how many injuries have you had? I mean, it seems like you're always, you know, obviously position players like yourself are always going through something. But I mean, did you have any surgeries along the way, or, or how did you stay on the field so long for so many years? Uh, I did have. In O two, when I was a bachelor's, I broke my nose and I broke my handmade bone. I had to have surgery on both of those. And stayed overnight, and then after that, I I rolled an ankle a couple times. I had a couple of random like finger hand issues, but nothing nothing that kept me out more than more than a couple of days. Except oh, I separated my shoulder in in uh, Maui trying to rob a home in Orange County. Did you get uh, it? I I was at the point of catching the ball. It touched my glove, but I couldn't go any farther because my shoulder and head were hitting the, hitting the reinforced wood wall at uh, Cal State Fullerton University where we play. We play, and I didn't get it. <laughs> Man, and the guy had hit two balls the exact same place, and I had moved over a little bit. I read the swing with the same pitch, got a great jump, and I was like, "Yeah!" And then. Boom, I was toast. 
You know, it's weird. You mentioned that it hits your glove. I remember when I was a kid and this, I think I heard this from coaches all the way up until I was maybe in like high school is that if it touches your glove, like if it nicks off, then you should have caught it. And I'm like, wait, what, what if I dove all the way, like every ounce of me and it only hits the very end of my glove? How can you say that I should have caught it? That doesn't even make sense. (laughs) Yeah, it doesn't make sense. But, uh, so last year you had, you played about half the season but you still, I'm looking at your numbers right here. So in 2016, you played a full season. You stole 51 bases and you were only caught stealing five times. And then last year in 70 games, you had 28 steals were only caught twice. Um, so let me ask you, you did that at 38 and 39 years old. How fast were you at your prime, like when you were younger? And how fast do you think you are now? Like how many steps do you think you've lost over these 20 years of, of baseball? Like, I got to be honest, I don't feel like I've lost any steps. Well, the numbers and, seem to indicate that, which is crazy. And I've, this last season was my best, those were my best bags and the lowest number of games. Like, I was going to get 60 for sure. Yeah. Like, for sure. Like, I wasn't even hitting. Like, I was. that's what I was trying to tell you, too. I had 28 bags. And I was hitting 230. Like, I'd never hit that low. So I've had the least number of opportunities, and I had the most number of bags at that point in the season. And honestly, like, last season, it was the first time that I can remember since probably 05, 06, where I went on a slide step fastball, and I beat it. And it, like, it was gave me some confidence that I hadn't, like, I knew I felt good the last few years, but I hadn't really had the confidence to try and take those chances because you know as you get older i feel like you get smarter and so you know you want it to be high percentage when you go when i was younger i felt like i would run more off ego and and just thinking i could be safe and he's not going to make a good throw on top of me at getting a good jump and having good speed you know what i'm saying so yeah this year was the first time i i felt like i had some i hadn't gotten in a really long time and i was just so so good, so I felt like I was doing some big things. So I, I feel like a lot of it's perspective too, because you know I got in, I had this you know crazy injury in college where like I got cut in a window and then I, put, I like was running sprints right after I got the stitches out and I felt like I really messed my body up. Like I slipped and tried to catch myself and I felt like I twisted a bunch of vertebrae up in my back, like locked them up. I don't know, it's hard to describe, but mm-hmm. I felt like it took away a lot of my my agility and my side-to-side movement, like in my hips, like for the jump. And this was the first season, like, I, my jumps felt so clean. Like, I haven't felt it. And I knew I was going to steal way better than I had in a long time because my jumps were just so much cleaner. And it, I proved it. It was. I wish I would have got some more. But, yeah, it was, it's, it's interesting. Like, I, I move around and I feel because my body's – more fluid than it has been in a long time since I can remember since like college that's as good as I feel like I feel it's like a mental thing like I feel like I did in college still because I haven't felt this way since college in my body you know that's how I look at it so yeah because I'm looking at your numbers and you were only caught in double digits one time that was 2009 you stole 33 bags were caught 10 times at no other point in this in any season where you caught more than nine times and then it looks like your best, you're 46 with no caught stealings in 2014. That was the year I played against you when I was with Camden. Yeah. 
And then you had another season, you had 57 steals and eight caught stealing. So, you know, and, and it was funny, you and I chatted a little bit via text like a couple months ago where I was asking you about some of the sabermetric numbers. If you knew that you're supposed to be safe or you need to be safe at least 70% of the time for it to like add value to your team because they say that it okay. hurts, you know, it hurts your team's expected amount of runs in that inning drastically more, usually two to three times more for every out that you make on the base path versus the value that you get getting to the next base. Um, and yeah. obviously that like changes based on the situation, but you know, when I was kind of like learning about all that stuff, I looked your numbers up cause I knew you had some of those crazy seasons where you were almost never caught stealing and yeah, you have 567 to 106. So your ratio is you steal, you're safe six out of every seven times pretty much, which is, you know, 85%. Nice. Yeah. So like yeah. you were one of those guys who didn't just have high numbers where, you know, say you stole 50 bags and were caught 50 times, you actually hurt your team that way. Um, yeah, exactly. So you actually provide a lot of value. And so tell me a little bit more about the jump because, you know, when I watched you play, you were, you got good reads on fly balls and you obviously got great jumps at first base, but you weren't the fastest guy. I would have guessed you were like a six, eight, six, nine kind of runner. Do you think that's accurate? I mean, there, uh, there are faster guys on each team. I don't want to insult you, but you were 30, no, no. 37. Um, well, I feel like a lot of like a lot of what people have always said about me is the way I run. I never look like I'm fast, but I do have long strides. Yeah, mm-hmm. and that's what I feel like because like I know I get I cover the ground like so I have to be like the guys that like you know when I see where guy other guys are catching balls and I look at the number of putouts I have like I know I'm getting the more balls because my you know the numbers so I mean. I the last I mean the last time I ran, uh, I mean the last time I was timed I got like six five. Not but that was I don't even remember that was like oh five oh six. But yeah, it's a ways ago. I don't really feel like like I feel like I always have whatever amount of speed I need. Like I can't tell you how many singles and I got turned into doubles in the lap because I come around hard. And it's like I know if I'm a, I know the distance I need to be, to be safe, but based on where he is in relation to the ball, because I feel like I have a good, I understanding of how long it takes to pick the ball up and make an accurate throw as an outfielder, and it takes more time than, you know, most infielders or catchers give people credit for, so they pull up. Whereas I feel like, it, dude, it's really hard, especially if a ball's not moving, for you to run in, grab it, set your feet get rid of it quick and put it on the money. So, you know, I, I just, I don't know. I, that's funny you say that. Like, I never, like, I don't know how fast I am, to be honest, but I definitely feel like I can do whatever I've, what I've always done in the field. Yeah. Still. No, and that was my experience with you too. Obviously, you were one of the, one of the first guys I faced when I was making my debut in that league in 2014 because I made my debut start against you guys in Long Island. And I, uh, okay. I was, I struck you out with a curveball, one at bat, and I think you had a line drive single against me in a different one. So we were kind of even in that one. But yeah, um, like you were hard out. Like you went, you'd go the opposite way. If I threw it away, you know, you'd go up the middle. You didn't try to do too much. I just feel yeah. like overall, you were a pretty savvy player, where you had an idea what you were doing. Um, maybe you didn't walk as much as other guys, but if you were on the base paths, you know, you always got your hits. You always hit around three hundred, if not more. Um, which obviously yeah. your career average is 303. But, uh, you know, where did you feel like you get that savvy? Like, 
did anyone help you along as a coach? Did you just have good teachers, like good teammates around you? Because I feel like a lot of kids these days lack that. I so I feel like like I always had well my first two years playing I like you know I was I started at ten so I was real behind and I I was pretty good the first year but I didn't really play the second year I was better play a little more and then my last year because I was an August kid everyone moved up and I just got to stay behind with a couple other guys so I had like ten homers and like got to be the man that last year in little league so I feel like that year really gave me like some baseball swag and then like Babe Ruth was all right high school you know I did I was decent but you know the coaching is you know most of the time is like a dad so I, I remember when I, I got into like trying to hook the ball and the pat like trying to, when I left high school and I got to JC and that's where I like learned I gotta be honest that's where I learned how to like play the game and do a lot of the things that I do with my JC coach like the basic mechanics of the swing that I believe in and have used and that have allowed me to get to, I feel like I've always been able to get to any pitch in any quadrant. Like you can't just keep throwing me in the same quadrant over and over. You can't do it. You can't do it for an at bat unless I'm just, you know, really bad that day. Like it's, I'm going to make the adjustment and that's the swing. I learned that swing there. I learned how to throw four scenes. I learned how to, Oh, just so many things that he taught me there and then and then my coach at Sonoma State taught me a lot about you know being a leader because he was he was probably the best leader that I ever had that I ever played for like he got the most out of me on the field by far like he like I feel like I would like died on the field for him like that's I don't know that's what did he do what did he do to to get that out of you what was it it's just he was honesty he was honest and told you like it was and you know that's you know, didn't sugarcoat things. And, you know, maybe it's also like part of, you know, as a head college coach, you don't really have that GM or owner to over your, you know, telling you how to do things and moves to make. So, you know, that could be a lot of it too. Whereas, I don't know, you just, I just feel like he really had your back in a way that, you know, a lot of professional managers don't or can't because they have to look out for themselves and their job, you know. Yeah. Well, and there's a different dynamic in college too, because you're with those guys well, yeah. for, you know, at least a couple of years, you're more invested. Whereas I feel like to a manager's credit sometimes, like you probably can't get overly close to everyone who comes through the door, at least not right away. Obviously, like you played multiple, multiple seasons with a lot of different clubs, but, um, you know, there's a lot of come and go. You've probably seen, I mean, what was the fastest you've seen a guy get, you know, signed and released in, in your time in indie ball? Like same day, same day. One out in. Yeah. Well, yeah, you know, you know, maybe to fill because, well, you know, in that situation, they're just they probably knew their role. They're coming in for a day to fill a spot or something. But I definitely seen a guy come in and go in one day for sure. Yeah. So as far as like you know specifically to stealing, because I'm really interested. In, I've been writing a lot about how to hold runners as a pitcher. What were some of the things you looked for in trying to get a really good jump? So. I only realized how to explain this just recently. So okay, all right, I all right. Like I was, yeah, and and it's because I wanted to you know teach it to the kids. I'm like, how? What did I really like? What was the one main thing? And I've come to realize it was body language. There's a lot of pitchers 
Because think about it, and it's this too. The energy required to throw the ball to the plate virtually as hard as you can and then pick over is completely two different energies. And a lot of it is the energy you want to put into it as well. And a lot of guys move before they pick up their foot. And it could be subtle. But it's like, I felt like I could see like the muscles flex in the legs or the shoulders or almost before like the movement happened. Does that make sense? Yeah. And, then- and it's for some guys. It's not for all guys. Not all guys do that. But some guys do that. It's like they, it's like you see them engage their muscles and rock a little tiny bit before they actually like pick their foot up. And I feel like I would be able to move on that before they actually pick their foot up. So they're weight shifting into their back leg? Yeah. Yeah. Kind of like that. Or maybe sometimes it could be a little shoulder turn or a breath. But like the one thing that I feel like allowed me to have such a great percentage is that one thing. Because if I saw that and got to move that early, then you could slide step and I could still get you with my speed. You know what I'm saying? That allows you... And I knew if you were like a one three and I got that movement, it didn't matter how good the catcher was. Like it didn't matter. Like that's how, honestly, so let me tell you this story. So my first short season, I got moved up twice and it was the craziest ride because, you know, I was probably the oldest guy in the draft, I think. But they sent me to the lowest freaking level where there was like tons of outfielders and I'm like and I just felt so much older as soon as I got there even my like understanding of the game was wow so I'm there it's like two weeks I'm like playing on and off and we uh we face Rick Ankeel he's he starts it's the season after he uh had the blow up in the the World Series Mm -hmm. so he's starting in DHE so I end up getting a hit and a walk off him, but I steal three bases and I score the only run of the game because he was just in like, he was a lefty. It was an easy read. Like he was so mad too. Like the first time I stole first, I stole second and third with, with I think one out and we couldn't get, they couldn't score him and we got out of it. And then the next time up, he tried to pick over and he had this like smug little look on his face, but I knew I had him because I, once I saw his move, I was like, ah. So then I stole second, he threw it away, I got to third, and someone hit me in. So after the game, I got moved up because of those bags right there pretty much. And the at-bats, I guess. So then I go to Pitts, uh, yeah, I go to Pittsfield and I play the first like four games. And then I had a rough start because there was, I don't know, I felt pressure. There was, I don't know, it was so crazy like getting moved up. Like guys weren't friendly, they didn't like say hi to you. I'm like, <laughs> so anyway, I'm there. And I don't play, I have a rough start, so I don't play for like a week. And I remember I, I was getting a little down, and then I was just like, you know what? You're getting paid to play. You got to be ready to play if you need to, you know, if you not, if you don't show up prepared and your name's in the lineup, you're not going to perform. So I changed my attitude, and the next day I'm in the lineup, and we're facing the Braves, and Brian Pena, the catcher, you know that name? Mm, he's, still, no. he's still in the big leagues, or he was last year. He was with the Royals. Okay. B-R-A-Y-A-N-K-S. So, He's a huge prospect, like one of the best throwers. And we had a three-game set, and I stole five bags off of him. But obviously they weren't off of him. They were off the pitchers. But he didn't have a chance. Like, he didn't have a chance. And 
the GM for the Astros was in town. I got moved up right after the game, like because of that, pretty much. Yeah. And I like it was just so easy to me because of the pitchers, like like, and that's one thing I always like. I've played against some really good catchers, and it's so funny how mad they get. But I always try and make them feel better. I tell them it's not their fault. So when you're facing a lefty, do you feel like you still see the same thing, or do lefties have the ability to make a decision when they're at the top of their leg kick? So lefties definitely do have a have a way better chance because they have a way they can do so many things like you know they can cross their whole leg and not cross their foot on the rubber and that's not a box. Mm-hmm. They can make it look like they're crossing. Like I played with some really good lefties. I played against some really good lefties. Like high school, this one guy, like he's one of the best pitchers in the league. Just so hard to hit, him. and if you got a hit, he'd pick you off. Like it was crazy. And then my one friend with the Astros, like he was really good. But I feel like a lot of guys don't really take the time anymore to like really like you have to work on that stuff. It doesn't come, you know, it's not just gonna happen. And like I just feel like you just gotta. It's all about making you know make it look the same. Like, I, but at the same time, I faced some lefties that were readers, and those guys tend to be slow even from the top of the delivery. So I've still you know I might have gotten picked off once or twice to to learn, but then I would like get bags off them, and then I and when I was younger, I would like take it as a challenge. Like if this guy had a good move, I want to get bags off him. Yeah. I'm not doing that. Well, and that's a that's an interesting idea. So how many times would you have to see a guy before you figured out whether he was one of the ones where you could like read his body language or before you figured out his, you know, A move, B move, whatever? Um how off, how long did it take you before you figured a guy out? Well, I'm usually honestly, the best pitch is the first pitch. Like I can't tell you how many times like I'm playing Lancaster and the guys would tell me after I played on the team because Butch knew me. He would tell everyone he likes to steal the first. Like they would tell me he'd go crazy in the meetings, and then they would still let me steal on the first pitch because no matter what, like the pitcher, I can't tell you how this happens all the time. They'll give you like a one three to one four on the first pitch and then quicken it up every pitch after that. I don't know what it is about the first pitch, but. They always like maybe it's because pitchers want to get ahead, but it, it's like the best pitch. It, I feel like they're always like giving you that that uh, they're just so direct, like in their thinking to the plate. It's I don't know. Yeah, well, I'm, that actually makes it. me excited that you said that because I was actually reaching out to one of these uh, like baseball analysts on Twitter, and I was asking where could I find the data on how often uh, base runners steal by pitch. So. Do they steal more on the first pitch or the second pitch or the third third pitch or whatever? Because it was always my observation that runners tended to steal on the first pitch and on the second pitch. And after that, it yeah. seemed like it drops off a lot, um, mm-hmm. except for like maybe the really smart ones who, you know, maybe you want to steal on a breaking ball. Obviously, that's a good tactic. But I, I just wasn't sure because I didn't have any data behind it. If it was just like me or if I was imagining, I'm like, do runners really go more on the first pitch? And I feel like they do. And as a pitcher, like from my perspective, and I was literally just talking about this in a, in a lecture I was doing about holding runners, it just feels like as a pitcher, you want to get locked in and like get started on the next at bat when the new hitter comes in there. Yes, so you just yes. kind of don't pay as much attention to the runner on that first pitch because you just like want to get yeah. off to a good start. But then yeah. that's the best time to forget about them 
and then they gone and then they're gone you're like crap and then you get a ground ball to short and you're like damn yep. it that was my double play ball um and a lot of times and we're you know i've noticed too the pitch after you steal second you know it's kind of a letdown they're like fuck and then they're like okay i gotta get the hitter and they do the same thing like so many times but i've had a few veteran savvy guys do the inside move on that pitch and pick me off so oh there but, you go well, that yeah. makes that makes sense too um, so w- let me, I'm going to kind of like quiz you. What, uh, what were the situations when you tried to steal second base more than others? Like, were there game situations where, you know, I don't want to go here. Like it doesn't help my team as much. Or were there times you're especially trying to steal third? So second, I felt like it was way easier and it meant more because you're going from not in scoring position to in scoring position. Okay. So. Like, when I got on first, I'd be thinking of any way to get to second. Fall in the dirt, steal a bag, any way, because, I don't know, it's just like, even if, like, the catcher's not paying attention, throwing the ball back to the, like, anything, like, anything I can pick up. And, and so, like, like, I've almost, like, in the past wanted to, like, to steal more in the big situations because it means more. It hurts the other team more. That base is more important. So it makes me more intense and more aggressive. It did definitely more when I was younger. That's what's crazy. Like I feel like as you get older and more, I don't know, you just kind of don't want to give his way as many outs so you get less aggressive. Because I started looking like, the last couple of years I'm like, I'm like, my bags are pretty even, but I'm not, like, why am I not running more? I'm in the Atlantic League. I have way more opportunities than I had, like, when I stole 57. I only played, played you know, 40-some less games. How come I haven't easily eclipsed that? I'm like, why am I not running as much? And then I was like, I feel like every time I get on base, I'm looking to run. And then I was like, well, I just must not be taking as many chances. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't feel like I have to, really. But... I don't know. I always just try it. Like, I can't think of, like, even there's been plenty of times where a manager, you know, I get on, nobody out, and a manager gives a bunt without even taking into account the guy's time to the plate. Yeah. Like, I, if the guy's over 1-3, it's almost 100% that I'm going to get a bat. Why are we going to just automatically give the out-out with the bunt first pitch? Sometimes I would just steal first pitch and hope the hitter is smart enough to not bunt and let me get to second for him. You know what I'm saying? Because I'd be like, this is stupid. Like, I can get this. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, and, and you know, one of the things the Sabermetrics community has figured out is how damaging bunting is to your team's run expectancy anyway. Um, mm-hmm. You know, giving up one, you know, when you get one base, so you advance your runner from first to second or second to third, you know, on average, maybe you gain like, 15 you know like 0.15 runs that you're expected to add that inning something like that I was just, i'm just kind of like throwing yeah. out a number that's probably not the exact average but close but when you give away an out you lose like 0.3 to 0.4 up to 0.5 or 0.6 runs for that inning so it just takes a big hit when you're giving up an yeah. out in exchange for one base because like with and a good example is so with first and second and no one out your team expects to score uh, 1.44 runs in that inning. Um, and then with second and third, 
and one out, you score, expect to score 1.37 runs. So you actually expect to score on average more runs with first and second and no one out than second and third and, and one out. So that's so like why they say, this. sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say like, I just feel like a lot of that, like in the, in the pros and cons has to do with the hitters who's coming up because I feel like there's times when you definitely should, like if you know the next two guys are for sure going to be able to get them over, get them in, then I feel like, cause I can't like at the, on the flip side, when you don't get those runs in, how much of a letdown is it? Like, yeah. I definitely don't agree for the, the, you know, the one guy bunt, but the first and second, like, you know, especially if like, let's say it's a catcher and he hits a lot of ground balls, like get him out of there, get that bunt down. You're slow as shit. And, and your next two guys are really good contact guys. That are just, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, for sure. And I, I, I feel like I totally agree. Times when we definitely shouldn't where we, I've seen it and been like, why are we doing this? This guy caves, you know, the next guy coming up strikes out all the time. And then he strikes out and you're like, that didn't even make any sense. You know, you know what I'm saying? It's like, you definitely should do it just to do it. Yeah. And that was one of uh, the sentiments of one of my other guests, Jacob Cruz, who's one of the, uh, he's the, the hitting coach for the Cubs double A team. And he was saying the same thing. He's like, well, you know, if say you have first and second and you have a guy who hits into a ton of ground balls, you know, maybe you should bunt with that guy in a, in a tight spot because the likelihood for a double play is way higher. Or, you know, like you said, maybe yeah. the next guy up isn't very likely to put a fly ball into the outfield to score someone from third. Or maybe they're very likely or the guy, like you said, the guy. so there's definitely a lot of context. Um, so like the numbers are like, they're interesting and they're, they're valuable. But like you said, like you can't take them without a grain of salt, without knowing who's up and who's coming up and I think it, all that stuff. I think it's interesting to add into that mix the pressure it puts on the defense as well because, you know, if you have a pitcher that has a really nasty breaking ball and likes to bounce it and you get guys on second and third, and, you know, then he's not as – and I've noticed that a lot still in third too sometimes that there's been a few times where I've gotten third with two outs but it was more strategic because I wanted to take away. I knew what it was going to change the way the pitcher was going to pitch. Yeah. The guy coming up or so, and I knew it get, I could still score and I would do it. But just to like, I've always kind of despised the guys that just steal that bag to pad their stats. Like, like seriously, I, I don't know. I'm, the two outs, third bag. Oh, it's just a snap pattern. <laughs> I'm with you. Plus, it's really risky. It's like, why are you still in third when, yeah, exactly. you know, in Little League it's Baseball, so, it makes so more sense because I obviously it like, in, looks, yeah. yeah, in Little League Baseball, they're, they make a, they make seven or eight errors a game. You know, the catchers can't catch the ball to save their lives. There's a lot more ways to score oh, third yeah. with two outs, you know, in yep. youth baseball, but yeah, in pro baseball, you need a single. Way. Yeah. It's yep. crazy. Exactly. So speaking of all that stuff all like the, the, the sabermetrics and data. Um, so obviously <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll fill the, the listeners in here. So it was really, it was really strange in 2016, uh, Phelan and I, we, we were next to each other in the locker room. And then I also had another teammate, Todd Coffey, who was the subject of, uh, Jeff Passan's book, the arm. And I had found out that Phelan was the subject. Well, not the subject, but you were sort of the villain in another book. Yeah. So, uh, called, the only rule is it has to work by Sam Miller and Ben Lindbergh. And so I was in this weird locker room with two guys who were like the star of two different books. So I read both of those books, obviously. And, uh, 
it was a very interesting dynamic with Phelan because I'll give you the kind of the synopsis. Um, so in the book, the only rule is it has to work. Two guys who really don't have a baseball background, they're just, uh, I mean, they're very intelligent, very good baseball analysts, like they're sabermetrics guys, um, really good at what they do. They just haven't played the game. So they were looking to see if they could find a real-life team that they could basically make like a fantasy team in the sense that they could try out some of these sort of high-level analytical ideas you know maybe we could use our closer different maybe we could you know put the batting order this way maybe we use starters for four innings a piece instead of you know going seven innings whatever all these different ideas that they had that that made sense on paper they wanted to see if they could try in real life so they found a team which was a player coached by a felant they're called the sonoma stompers and why why were you taking that year off to play with the stompers i can't remember why you did that well, part of it was, you know, the way the Ducks work, and it's the only team, like, apparently you're, like, ex- you're expected to call them if you want to come back. So I was yeah. waiting around for them to call me, and it got into January, and I was like, well, I don't know. I was like, you know, I've always just kind of waited for opportunities to kind of come up. That's just the way my life works. And I bumped into and from high school, and he was the, the new owner. Told me he was on and threw out some like player manager thing. And I was thinking to myself, well, you know, my little sis likes it better when I'm home, and you know, I wouldn't have to go. I could do it. I could be here for the last few years in high, in, you know, high school, and I was like, might be a good idea. It'd be fun. Yeah. So I decided to give it a shot. But in your case, it wasn't quite as fun as you would probably hope. So as I read this book. And I was just meeting you, obviously. Um, you know, since I was only with the team for six or seven weeks, and then I got released. Um, you know, I'm, I'm getting to know Phelan a little bit. You know, I'm kind of quiet. He's kind of quiet, kind of keeps to himself a little bit. And then, obviously, both of us kind of, you know, come into our own a little bit later when we get more comfortable, it seems like. But So I was just getting to know Phelan, and I was reading through this book, and I'm like, man, this is harsh. <laughs> you were made to be the villain in that book. And I think it was because, obviously, like, you had your ways. You were the player player manager, which is a very tough position to be in. And you'd played the game for, you know, 20 seasons almost at that point professionally. So you weren't, I guess, maybe about to, you know, let them do all the things that maybe they wanted to do. And so they really wanted to do a lot of different experiments and stuff that you didn't necessarily agree with. So there was just an ideological difference between you guys. And in the book, obviously, everything is written from one person's perspective. Um, obviously, the two authors, Sam and Ben, they wrote it from there. They alternated chapters. But still, you know, you could tell from just the way it was written that there was some animosity and that they didn't get to do what they wanted to do, and they were a little bit unhappy about it. I actually met Ben in August at Sabre Seminar. Seems like a good guy. But um, So you guys butted heads, right? So do you want to talk a little bit about that experience and I'll kind of share a couple more anecdotes about me reading it sitting next to you in the locker room. Well, first, the main thing of the whole thing is I was not told the full truth of the situation. I was told they were going to suggest things like suggest shifts and they were going to scout and you know, give ideas, but I was never told they were going to be my boss and I was in the level of which they were going to be involved in everything. That was definitely not, I was not given that information because I never would have took 
took the job because part of why part of why I decided to play in the league, I only told myself I could only be a manager or a coach because I'm not going to be it's a league with really young guys and inexperienced guys, and I'm not going to be the salty vet trying to police everyone and tell everyone how to do things because it's not going to be a good dynamic in the locker room. I'd rather do it where I'm the leader and guys can look at me my experience and look up to me and not be the villain. So that was why I did it. So like the fact that they were my boss is just is just so ridiculous to me. I wish that information would have been given me. But the second part too is, you know, when I met with Sam, you know, he he didn't tell me they were. You know, I wasn't told. Oh, they're gonna be in the lineup. They're gonna be in player. You know, bringing players. Now, I will say this: they helped out a ton. Like they helped. I can be honest and say they helped out. They gave you know a lot of the great college players and young guys. Like they got them. They got us them, and and we had a lot of inf- we had more information going into games than I pretty much ever had playing independent ball. Like by far, like it was amazing, and that was awesome. But there was just so many things like that was just ridiculous. Like they didn't, that they didn't want to take into account or didn't want to listen. And, and I'm fully will listen to someone, you know, we can sit down and you tell me and I tell you, but you know, if you ask me to go against my whole experience then why am I even here? Like, why do you have me? If you want to be the manager, like why did you even bring me up? Doesn't make sense. So yeah, I think that's, I think it's hard to find that balance. Yeah. Um, so what were some of the specifics? So I know we talked about the closer situation, but what were some of the other ideological differences that you guys had? Well, it's, it first started with we're 11 and 2, and I get an email telling me that we should release our left fielder. He's hitting 322 with one homer and 11 RBIs, I'm pretty sure. Because he's not showing a traditional level of power for the position. And I explained to them, first and foremost, when a team is doing, a, a team is successful and the players are successful, you can't make changes. Like, there's no reason to make changes. And I try to tell them, like, what do you think the message is going to send to every other guy who's doing their job? Do you think they're going to feel comfortable if they see a guy get released who's hitting 322 and he's a big part, he's a big part of the team and we release him to, to bring in some guy? And so let me fill you in on the reason why they want. They tell me they have some guy who played in some Southern conference for college who's hitting 560, he hit 560 with an 860 slugging or some, something. And I tried to explain to him. I first, my first question was, "What league?" And they told me some league, and I'm like, "Okay, what's the competition like?" They couldn't really tell me. And I said, "The guy that's playing for me comes from the CCA in California that I played in. He played for my college coach, the assistant coach who played Triple A ball, who taught me a lot, and who I acknowledge, I completely respect his opinion. I respect." He told me this guy is a gamer and will get it done. The guy's come here and done everything that he said he was going to do. And you're telling me we should take him out for this guy? I said, and I said, second of all, have you seen this guy swing a wood bat? Like, 
that's all well and fine, but it's a completely different swing with a wood bat, and he might not be able to even handle a wood bat. And you you haven't even seen him play, and you're gonna tell me, I was like, if if it, those numbers were legit, he wouldn't be trying to fight for a job in this league right now. If those numbers were legit, the guy would be playing affiliated ball right now. If those numbers had had any kind of weight to him. So he let it go. The next night, the left and I told also told the left fielder that he, you know, the guy was ponging, so he's naturally just a strong dude. I was like, he's just learning how to use his top hand and keep the barrel up to the ball. I said, that's as soon as he does that, he's going to hit the power. He's just learning how to do it. The next night, he goes five for five with a homer. The guy ends up being the rookie of the year. I don't think he put that part in the book, that altercation in emails. I don't think he shared that part. But uh, So that was the first thing, and then I was completely right. Like The next night, and I didn't even gloat or send him an email about the guy going five for five the next night after him trying to tell me he needed to be changed. So anyway, that was the first thing, and then and then it was the closer starter starter thing, and that was just like, man, it was so tough for me because if I could if I could say there's one thing on the that happens on the field in my professional experience that demoralizes a team more or ruins a season more or just makes it tough to show up to the ball field every day is consistently getting to the end of a game and blowing it with the lead like what's worse than that yeah no I, I'm, I'm with you it's it's hard and and i tried to i tried to tell him about you know sorry what were you gonna say to you. no i was just gonna say it's, it's hard closing uh-huh. games you know like i only did it a couple yeah. times and there's a, definitely a sense that like the cavalry's not coming and even yeah. if you're a really confident guy, it just takes getting used to being a closer. That yeah. it's gonna lo- you're gonna win or lose the game on you. Um, whenever you don't have a good game, you're gonna be pretty much responsible for that loss. You know, it's uh, a yeah. it's tough to always live like that. It's kind of like coming up to the plate every time with two outs in the ninth and like the bases are loaded. You know, you're, yeah, you're a hero yeah. sometimes, but a lot of times you're like, God, I, like this is just tough losing all the time. And you have to forget about it, yeah, and then come back the next night. And what about the closers who, like, don't throw strikes and you don't know, like, if they're going to be on or off? Like, that's the worst, too. Like, Yeah, so anyway, they make it really hard to watch. Seen, yeah, exactly. Like, your butt's so tight in the outfit, you're like, oh, my God, what's going to happen? Like, you don't even know. Like, what's it going to be tonight? So, anyway, I've seen all these scenarios as a player. For the first time in my career, I'm in the position to make a decision and, and – not let some that happen. So the guy that was closing, he he came to me and said he wanted to close in the beginning of the year. I said, great. So our offense is doing so well that, you know, most a lot of the games are blowouts. So he hasn't pitched a lot, which is awesome. We're doing great. We have tons of wins in the first half. And our closer's gotten to pretty much rest and chill. And he's, but he still has a lot of saves. He just doesn't have a lot of innings because he was so good. He'd come in and just like boom, 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 boom. Like I couldn't believe how blessed I was to have that kind of a closer in this league. Like I was like, this is amazing. Like I, I honestly think he could have pretty much closed anywhere that I played. And mm-hmm. he threw like 86, but he could dot his slider up. Anyway, so he was the, the guy that came out as the first professional gay player. And 
the only reason he started was because of that, and they want him to start, and he won't extend in three innings. And then he comes to me and says he can go longer, and I was like, okay, we'll see what happens. So he goes CG shutout, one hit. I'm like, oh, I knew it was going to be trouble. <laughs> so all of a sudden they come to me and tell me he should start now. And I'm like, that's I'm like that's not how baseball works. I said I could see if the starter goes to a closer, and this is and at this point in the season we're t- okay. So we started seventeen and three. We had a three and seven stretch where things went tough, and I knew we were going to have a rough stretch because we were winning every possible way and everything went our way. And when does that a season ever completely go that way? What happened to the Astros? They were balling, then they went into the tank for a little while. And then they started balling again, and they still won the championship. So as soon as we have this little rough stretch, they, that's when they started to want to make all these changes and do all these experiments. And I'm like, you got to let the season play. You got to let the first rough stretch happen. Like as a player, when you see, you know, all this like it's panic if you see all this stuff happen as soon as. You know, the first couple losses, like, look what we've done for you. We won almost every game for the whole first 20 games. And then as soon as it's a little rough, you start wanting to get rid of guys and take guys out of the lineup and do a bunch of changes. Like, I'm just trying to explain to them, like, the message that that stuff sends to the players. And you can't expect guys to continue to perform the way they were if you add a bunch of pressure because and a bunch of other thoughts that aren't related to on the field. And guys are doing their jobs. Like that's this game is mental. It's so much mental. You know that's all I know from being a player. So I'm trying to explain all this to them, and they're not hearing me. So then we have this situation where Aaron Miles, who's a World Series champion with the San Luis Cardinals, he's the player coach for Pittsburgh, and we're playing him in a three-game set. So the first game they win, they're up early. And he brings the closer in like super early because he panicked. And the dude didn't throw strikes. He like walked the house. And I remember telling the guy on the bench, watch, he's not going to want to go to him later in the series because he because of his performance with the big lead. Like he shouldn't even have been in the game, really. You know what I'm saying? It was yeah. like a four or five run lead and he brought him in. So anyway, the next night, they have this starter going and he's dealing through like six. It's like two, nothing. We get him for one and like the fifth, but he's like, he comes in the six and he's like starting to run out of gas, starting to miss spots, but he's still pitching. Well, goes out in the seventh and I see he gets into a little trouble. I see that guy warming up, but he just, just warming up forever. And the guy like gets out of the inning and I can just tell, and I tell the guy that's the guys, look, I promise you, I said, he's not going to take this guy out. And I said, and if he doesn't take him out, we're going to win this game. We're going to walk him off. I promise you. I, and you could ask any player because I was yelling at the dugout. So anyway, I almost hit a homer in the eighth. Like, I just missed this ball. And I, I'm like, oh. And so like, he squeaks through. And I tell him, like, in the ninth, I'm like, guys, I'm like, if he goes out, I promise it's over. So what happens? They send him back out for the ninth, and the left fielder who wasn't hitting for enough power hits a two-run homer to walk off and win because they wouldn't take out the starter. All right. So the next night, they talked me into starting the closer. All right. Okay. We had like a rain out. So what happens? He deals the whole game. Same scenario. Gets into the ninth. 
runs out of gas. I have to take him out. I have no one that, like that even is real, I have any confidence in, but I still went with the guy I have the most confidence in. We blow the game, we lose. So we had this meeting in the dugout about the closer situation. And it's weird because it's like me and like my assistant coach. My assistant coach is on like sitting in the dugout bench and it's the GM and Ben and Sam on like the outside on the field side on the fence. And they're trying to tell me like, and I said, did you guys not see the way the game's played out? The starter isn't that, he's only important if he went, like if he doesn't go all the way, which is actually asking a whole lot of a starter. And I have no one to close the game. What happened? They lost without a closer, and then we lost without a closer. Both teams didn't have a closer, got great starts from their starter, and lost because they couldn't get the last three outs. And I said, and did you ever think about that a pitcher might be a lot more confident to get late in the game because he knows he has a great closer or a great bullpen behind him? Don't you realize that that takes pressure off and allows him to attack hitters more and throw less pitches and get deeper in the game instead of thinking in his head, I gotta get these outs myself because I don't want to go to the bullpen? That makes it way more intense, way more pitches, way more effort, and then that's not gonna let you get deep in the game. I try to explain how, how much it sucks. When you get to the end of the game and you lose, I, I showed him, told him all my experience and all they said was, but you got to get to the end with the lead. I said, and we are. Look at our record. How are you telling me we need a win? And they just couldn't understand. And so, you know, I knew I wasn't a professional manager before. So I went and called someone who played 10 years in the big leagues and who managed for 10 years because I wanted to know what he thought of the situation. Because if I was wrong, I would have went back and said, you know what? This guy says it's okay. He knows more than me. Let's do it. But he laughed. He said, wait, what's your record right now? And I said, we're 20 and 10. And he just started cracking up. And he's like, he's like are you kidding me? And I said, pretty much. And he's like, you need to stick to your guns. You're right. And I'm like, that's what I thought. And I tried to tell him, like, look, this isn't like, I know I'm not the final word. And I asked other opinion. And this is what, and it just didn't. They, you know, that was a big thing. And then the kangaroo court thing, you remember that? Yeah. I feel like that was a big butting head. And that was funny because that was just me doing what my players wanted. I explained it to them. The, the players were getting all mad. And yet, like, imagine like a bunch of tamed wild animals in a small room getting ready to do this party and getting all rowdy because they don't want this guy in there. And who are they yelling at? Me, the manager. So I go and tell him, like, look, this isn't coming from me. The guys don't want you in here. It's not what is protocol. You, it's not what happens. And so I'll, apparently that was a big issue. Like, sorry, like, when have you ever had a co- even a coach in a in a uh, kangaroo court? Yeah, I've had one or two, but they were like yeah, pretty close to the guys. Lot. It's very rare. Yeah, exactly. So like, I just thought that was ridiculous. Do you want to document it? Like, get interviews after. I don't, like, what do you want me to do? And then the, and then there was one other thing, too. They insisted, he insisted on being, like, in the dugout during the games. And it was, like, the worst energy. It was, like, the principal being in the room in the class and the teacher trying to teach and the guys trying to learn with, the, with someone walking around with, like, a 
binder and taking notes and trying to tell, you know, pitchers how to throw strikes and his like corduroys and like zip up sweater and, you know, talking to my pitching coach while I'm in center field, telling him about moves he should make, you know, behind my back. Like, just think about the dynamic that would create. And so I try to tell the GM, like, like this is what's happening in the dugout. Like, I thought you wanted to win. He's like, what do you have to be in there? I'm like, well, what are we, like, what are we here for? This is indie ball. You're supposed to, like, try and win baseball. I don't understand, like, what. And I'm winning. I'm doing everything that it needs to take to win, and we're dominating, setting every record. But that's not enough because we're not doing enough experimentation, you know. And that's what I was told at the end by Sam. You know, the night I got fired, we went out and had some drinks, and Sam was there. And he told me, that I, because I was there and how well we did it, that I gave them no information for the book. So they pretty much had to get rid of me. Like, that's what he told me. Yeah. Yeah, it was a... And I wasn't... An interesting saga, for sure. Cause yeah, dude. Well, the, well, you say, what was the word that I used when I read passages? Oh, the fiefdom, man. I'll never <laughs> forget that. I say that all the time. <laughs> yeah, so when I was reading the book, there was an especially kind of critical passage where they, uh, I guess they had a big fight and they sort of said like, oh, this is just Phalon's fiefdom and we're just, you know, his uh, subjects in it or whatever. So I obviously just, just being me to stir the pot, I had little uh, reading sessions in the middle of the locker room. So I would just sit there and read out loud a couple couple passages <laughs> until Valant would start to pace and like throw a tantrum and start to, uh, you know, argue with me about the stuff. So I, I really enjoyed that. I appreciate you being a good sport about it. That was pretty fun, yeah, I think, for all of us. <laughs> but you got pretty fired up. I Well, yeah, I... Yeah, you get me fired up because a lot of it was the information I didn't know. Like that was the first time that I learned they were my bosses when you read the the passage out of the book. That was the first time when you yeah. said that, that was the first time we wanted to fire him. I'm like, what? Like you know, just it made me feel betrayed. Like really, like I was so honest with every move I wanted to make. Like think about this, Blue. Think of how many guys I had hitting me up wanting to play for me from all the years that I played and. It, I have such a high standard, there was only a few, like a few, and I brought these guys and I said, these are the guys, they need to be here, they want to be here, they'll play, like, you don't understand, like, and they wanted to fight me, and, and I was like, I could have had a whole roster if I wanted to, but I'm telling you, like, it was just, it was just so sad that they wanted to do everything, I had one shortstop that I wanted to bring, and they brought, and I told him, he, I told him if he didn't play, I wasn't going to do it. It had to come to that, first of all, and second, then they bring six guys to camp. So I had to cut, like, five shortstops for no reason. Like, it was so bad. Like, it was so hard. That was the hardest part of it all, really, was having a release. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. That's, that was brutal. It's got to be rough. How many times do you get released in your career? Oh, man. Uh, oh, two, three, four. Six, seven, eight. Yeah. I don't even, yeah. It's been a few. Winter, plenty of times in winter ball. Two times in Astros. In 05, I was in camp at Sioux Falls. 
and Doc Edwards was supposed to be the manager, and I was coming out of a good season in Frontier League, and then he ended up, I show up there, and he's not there, it's from Mike Pinto, and I had, it was spring training, I had a little slow start, and he released me out of camp, and then I had one of my best seasons, and one of my greatest satisfactions in my career was, my friend was on his team, and after one of the first games, I just, I don't know why I've always, anyone I felt like is wrong me on the field, I just dominate, it just happens every time. And I dominated them. And he was like, he told my friend I was the worst coaching decision he ever made. He was like, releasing me. <laughs> I was like, yeah, at least he was honest. <laughs> yeah, it's it's hard not to feel that way. You know, I, I remember I got released by Somerset in 2014, and they were fair about it. Like, they were honest with me. Like, they even, uh, like, manager Brett Jody was even, he would, like, talk positively to me, to other managers, and other scouts even years down the road but you know it's just hard to let let go of that like animosity even when they treat you well that you don't want to just like yeah. shove it against them well it's like you want you want to prove to them that they made the wrong decision yeah and that's good like you kind of need that i mean overall like i've always kind of had that playing for various reasons and it was interesting because this summer was the first time i like I felt like I, I don't know, I felt like I figured out why, I, I don't know, this offseason, I felt like I figured out why I really played, and I don't know, that, that crazy fire that I had to, like, prove something on the field was gone, like, I felt like I didn't have anything to prove anymore as well. Yeah. The first time I ever felt that. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if that, you know, happens, obviously, you played so many seasons, it's going to happen at some point where you just feel like you've done yeah. it, you've done it all, maybe that's... I don't know. It's hard to interpret messages like that. You know, after I was let go by Long Island that year, that August, I was trying to come back from surgery, and it was the first time I just didn't want to go back. And I was trying, and I was trying, and I was talking to my agent about it, and he's like, why do you want to go back? I'm like, like, I just don't want to lose a shot at going back next year. Like, I want to make sure I stay in the game and don't get left behind. And he's like, it doesn't sound like you want to go back out. I'm like, yeah. And, and that was, a, like like you said, that was the first time in my whole life that I ever didn't want to go play baseball versus, you know, when I had an opportunity to. Yeah. It's, it's a weird, it just, like, makes you question who you are a little bit when you feel that way. Like, that's not yeah, me. Yeah, like, what was it, yeah, what was this all about? But, I mean, it was just, I don't know, I feel like it all culminated. And I, I, I learned, I feel like I finally figured out the lesson in why I was playing and and that you know once that happens like well I can move on to something else like I feel like I have other stuff I need to accomplish now yeah that's good I mean hopefully you do come to you know I know a lot of guys hang it up and they don't feel that way they feel like they have regrets and bitterness and um, you know if that's how you feel if, if, if last year was your last year maybe it's not you know hopefully you have that piece about it and you're ready to tackle the next chapter but yeah I'm not it's funny I'm not sure I, I might give it one more go in this league my friend might get a manager job I might actually uh, Theo apparently is out there's new owners already for the Stompers uh, in that situation I wouldn't be opposed to playing again in town but yeah. see what happens yeah but yeah like like it's funny at the end of the like uh, one of my teammates was like Excuse me, at the end of the, when I was leaving Long Island, telling me that, you know, I was 22 bags away from 500 and like indie ball or something, and then he really wanted to see it. 
And, you know, a lot of times in my career, you know, that kind of stuff would have uh, mattered. I just, like, it was, it was weird to me that, like, even hearing that, it didn't even come close to changing how I felt about the situation or wanting to stay or, or knowing the risk of what I was doing might not let me play again. Like, I felt like I needed to stand up for myself. And, you know, I, I knew the risk might be not playing, you know, but I felt like that was okay. Yeah. Honestly. Yeah, and even so, I came home and played in this men's league with some friends of mine that I played for before the stomper season happened to get in shape, and I got to play the last six games, and we played the playoffs, and we swept out and won the championship, and it was, it was so much fun because I earned the shortstop job, and I got to pitch and play short the whole time, and it was just... I had so much more fun. Like I played outfit enough. I wanna like that's what I feel like I'm at. I wanna play some other positions. Like I feel like I mastered the outfit. I want a chance to do other stuff. Yeah. I feel like I can. Like I did well. Like I I played short stuff growing up and I got some like great jumps into my first step and I was like, This is crazy. Like like it was there still. I don't know, it was awesome. Yeah, maybe you're the next Tim Tebow. <laughs> My, like, Maybe you should just take up football just to stick it to him. He's like invading our sport. You can invade his. Yeah, right. Seriously, that'd be hilarious. <laughs> I could definitely do that. I know I could play the football. Well, hey, I'm gonna give uh, I'm gonna give our listeners a couple things to follow up on. So, number one, again, right. the uh, the book that I read that Phelan's featured in. It's called "The Only Rule Is It Has to Work." It's by Sam Miller and Ben Lindbergh. And you know, I. I love hearing Phelan's uh, take on it because the book is the completely other side of the argument. I enjoyed it. You know, I, th- I thought it was a good hearing about just the story in general because it's it's very, very different. I definitely learned some things, you know, on the, the baseball analytics side, on the sabermetric side. And then, you know, now that you guys have heard from Phelan, I think it's especially interesting to to hear how his take matches up with theirs and just, just kind of like the whole saga. So I, th- I think it's still an interesting read and worth it. And then, Phelan, uh, why don't you explain a little bit about what ESPN came and did with you recently? Well, actually, it was like uh, Jackal Productions or something. And they were doing a, they were supposedly doing like a special for ESPN. And they wanted to give me a chance to talk about what happened and tell my side of the story. And they came and filmed it a little over a month ago. I'm just waiting to hear about when it's supposed to air. But I haven't heard anything. But yeah, it was, it was, you know, I remember you, Ben, tweeting you when we were in the locker room and expecting a response from me about the book. And I don't know, I just felt like I didn't need to get a response because I felt like anyone that knows baseball knows that what I said was was right. Like, I wasn't, it's not about me being right. I was just trying to have them, help them understand, what, you know, what my thinking was and and how hard it is for you to tell me to go against these things when I see the damage they cause and how much it's you know on the field when you haven't experienced that and you're not trying to even understand what it comes from on the player side and like that's why I feel like the only thing that sabermetrics lacks is it, it doesn't take into account the little things that I feel like actually make up the game like the preparation and the mental side and the approach and and understanding like where the breaking ball is going to break and swing to that spot. Just like that's the great players have little things that make them great. And you can't necessarily quantify that with numbers. Like 
But I do think that there's a spot for the numbers because, you know, they help out. Uh, you know, but one thing, one thing that I didn't even get to share, when I was meeting Sam for the first time and he was trying to go over things that, you know, they might have to do, he, he asked me this. He said, you know, if we come to you and say that this guy's swinging, he's striking out a lot on a 2-2 pitch, what if we told you that he just shouldn't swing ever on a 2-2 pitch? And I was like, and I, th- and I told him, I said, well, wouldn't you, like as a coach, I would first look at, well, what kind of pitches is he swinging at? Why is he swinging at him? Like, it's more of an approach thing. It's like nothing is absolute where you just, you know what I'm saying? Where you would just say yeah, something mm-hmm. like that. And like, and yeah, it was hard. The like, count. It's the, it's what's happening on the count, which can be completely yeah, exactly. different and just, based on the hitter or the pitcher. Yeah. And it was hard, like for him to even ask me that question. Like I was like, this is, you know, this is kind of crazy, but I was still open to it. And I thought we had a great rapport. Like, I had a great rapport with Sam. I was felt like we could be, I could be honest with him, but it was like, it was bad. I don't know. He was tough to talk to. And he didn't want to, it's like he didn't want to hear it. Like, and it was just funny. Like, I don't understand why. When is a season ever an experiment? Unless you're in the big leagues, like indie ball can't be an experiment. Like there's no money. Like it's about you have to try and stay afloat. You know. Yeah, and I think that's kind of a misconception too. Where, like you said, it's it's like the lowest level. It's like they're like the cheapest lab rats. You know, you wouldn't yeah. do experiments on like Great Danes, but at the same time, it's those guys' career too. Where. They're trying to yeah. keep their heads above water and, and get out of there and move up. And, you know, some of that stuff could impact their careers, you know, depending on how they're used. But, yeah, yeah I mean, it was, it was, like I said, it was weird for me because when I was reading it, I felt this, like, strong sense of wanting to, like, kind of defend you. And I was like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go leave an Amazon review. And, you know, like, I tweeted it at Ben and told him I was reading the book. But I let myself kind of simmer on it for a while I ended up never leaving a review but you know I like the book I like the story I'm glad I read it I felt like I learned things I was glad to hear both your side of it and their side of it but it's just one of those things where you know I I didn't feel like I had I felt like I was kind of like the mediator I feel like I knew your side of it and I knew their side of it but I didn't know either of you well enough to know what was the the objective truth and I didn't feel like I really had enough information because I wasn't there, you know, to really know who was right or who was wrong or, and that wasn't even, I don't think the most important thing. It sounds like you guys just both maybe didn't listen enough to each other's sides or maybe there was just a lot lost in translation and that maybe things weren't approached as well as they could have been. Well, I just wouldn't have, like for me, like I just wouldn't have accepted the job knowing that you know, those guys were supposed to have the final say. Like, that's why, like, yeah. like I said, like, I wanted to be, I didn't want to, like, I didn't want to play for a manager in this league who had nowhere near my experience who I didn't agree with his philosophies on the field and who I butted heads with. Like, that was the opposite of what I wanted. That's why I wanted to be the manager. And then it still happened. And it happened with some guys who were writing a book with no baseball experience. You know, think about like, so like, that's my only, like, honestly, and at the end of the day, like I tell people all the time, I have no regrets at all. It was not a negative experience for me. It was actually a positive because it not only gave me a ton of confidence in my, in my knowledge of teaching hitting and my ideas because I got to teach 
all, like I've never had so many guys hitting before a game in the cage. Like pretty much nine out of the eleven guys were there with me trying to get better every day before the games. It was amazing. And then we set all the offensive records, so like it gave me so much confidence in that. We we went made the playoffs, so I proved I could manage make playoffs. And I learned a lot about myself and my body language on the field. It was just overall just a great experience, and I made up some great friends. So it wasn't bad for me. I just wish the only thing I regret is not getting a chance to get a ring as a manager because. Even the San Rafael owner told me when I came home, he said that as soon as they let me go, we, that he knew that they handed the championship over to them and they won it. That's exactly what happened. Like we were do- like that was one of the most dominant experiences I've ever had playing baseball, and it was amazing. So I wouldn't change that for the world. There was one thing I wanted to say when we were talking earlier about stealing, uh-huh. and we were talking about. You know, a good way. We never really talked about the best ways to to uh, stop the run game. And one thing I was thinking about when we were talking about, you know, guys want to steal on the first and second pitch. Part of that for the, I was trying to think about why, you know, that was important to me. And I realized a lot of it is that I'm trying to get there early. So the guy's not down two strikes. Because once he's down 0-2, like, you're not trying to steal as much. It's, it's, you're trying to let the guy hit. So it's a, it's a way tougher situation. Like, I'm definitely, my, my aggressiveness is way down two strikes. And it's down with one strike, too. Like, it's tough. So, you know, I feel like that has a lot to do with why the first two pitches are, are important. So, and it makes it easier if, you know, the guy's throwing balls. Because then, like, 2-0, like, and when a guy's down 2-0, he's always a lot of times more deliberate to the plate because he knows he can throw a strike. Yeah. And the guy can take and you get to, you know, you get to steal that way. And I was thinking, too, one a really good way is just vary your looks and vary your times. Like, that's the best thing, like, you can do is not be the same and not get caught and fall into a, uh, the same kind of rhythm. And I also tell guys... Like, look at your delivery in a mirror and look at, especially for a lefty. If you're a lefty, you should at least do enough to try and make your pick look like your, look like your delivery because it's so funny to me how many lefties you'll face that have no moves and you can just steal off them all day and they just tell you, I don't really care. It's like, do you know how easy it is to get it? Like, you just make it so easy to get the extra base off you. I, I don't understand why a pitcher would ever want that to happen. It's just ridiculous because you don't want to make the effort to work on it. Yeah, it it always confused me too when I'd see a lefty without a great move. And I I admittedly, as as a righty, I didn't have a great move, but I had enough of a move to do what I needed to do. You know, I didn't care that much about picking guys up. Yeah. Well, that's what it comes down to. The quicker you are on the plate, the more chances you make the the guy take. And when, when he starts taking chances, that's when you... With the quick feet, he has to shorten up. Like, it's harder to want to take the chance because you're like, damn, this guy could fucking come over quick. Like, that's the, like, the, that's all you need, really. Yeah. And you, even though you picked it up, like, I remember, you picked me up high, but you did it really quick. So it wasn't, it was still not the, the best jump to get. And you were good at, too, even though you had your weight kind of forward, you didn't go back. You know what I'm saying? You just picked your foot up and went straight. Those are the toughest guys for me. Yeah, I actually just keep a little bit more weight in my back leg. 
So it's like preloaded, so I don't have to shift yeah, the weight. Exactly. Not a lot of guys do that. Those are the guys where I feel like I don't get like that body language joke. Like I have to wait to like actually see the movement instead yeah. of being able to go before I feel like I even see the foot pick up. This is good, man. You're making me feel like I uh, like I knew something. So it's good. This is good. This is good. But, uh, <laughs> well, hey, man, um, we're a little bit over the hour mark, so this was an awesome okay. podcast. But uh, we're gonna wrap up. So, hey, I appreciate right. you being on it. I thought this was an awesome talk, and I was really excited to hear your your side of this and kind of get it out there. And because, um, like I said, like the yeah, sabermetrics community is growing, and I think you are a big part of a really important experiment. So I think it was good to kind of tell your story out there. Awesome. Glad I could help out. All right, man. Well, hey, this was Dear Baseball Gods, and we'll catch you next week.